Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Stone, and tonight we are joined by Dr. David Atia, Fellow of the International Congress of Oral Implantologists, Master of Oral Implantology Supervisor um, of the Goethe University, Germany, Core Faculty Instructor and Lecturer for the Austria-Asian College of Dental Practitioners, Board of Examiners on the Cambridge Academy of Dental Implantology, Excellence in Orthodontics and Dentofacial Orthopedics Clinical Instructor, EODO Sydney. Dr. David Atia, welcome to the show. Nice to be here, man. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. So some of our viewers probably know of your journey throughout your previous guest appearance on you know, the Dental Head Start podcast and the Newbie Dentist podcast. However, for those that haven't, tell us about your CPD journey. Okay, uh, so where to start? <laughs> um, I finished... <laughs> I finished dentistry uh, on the Gold Coast uh, in about 2013 um, and I always sort of had an, an idea of what I wanted to do and how early I sort of wanted to do it and I, I began that journey doing um, some orthodontic training uh, as well as some mixed weekend courses here on there and in, in, in pros and a little bit of implant restorative work. Um, I wanted to finish that ortho diploma before I jumped into anything uh, else too heavy. From uni days, I was a little bit more surgically driven. Um, so there was always that on my radar and something that I really wanted to sort of begin a journey on. Um, but because I had committed to a diploma in orthodontics, I thought it'd be wise to sort of finish that or the majority of that before I, I ventured out into into other disciplines. So I finished that um, in around 2015. I had done some uh, surgical training in implants um, inspired by one of my mentors and one of my teachers and, and employers in, in Townsville. And after a year of doing implants under his guidance and his mentorship, I thought it was time to get some more solid uh, clinical knowledge as well as biological foundational knowledge in implants. So I decided to do uh, a master's in implants in Germany through uh, Goethe University. Um, that began at the end of 2016 till about halfway through 20. 18 um, and during that time I was in Germany three or four times over that period but I was always doing other courses I was always doing um, you know if a, if a speaker came out from overseas to Sydney I would go and see them if there were online courses I'd enrolled in online courses and I think the direction from my clinical work sort of went towards more the surgical realm um, as soon as I started uh, to do a little bit more surgery I realized that this is what I wanted to do I wanted what I wanted to do more of um, I still feel the importance of that author diploma in every single day clinical practice. Uh, author has formed a cornerstone and foundation to a lot of the treatments that I provide, even the surgical ones. So I feel like it was probably wasn't wasted. It was definitely something that I am now able to use and better educate my patients, particularly when we are talking about multidisciplinary dentistry, which uh, I am quite passionate about. And I've been influenced by a lot of people to sort of keep that at the forefront of, of the of the type of dentistry that I provide my patients. Um, that's pretty much a summary. Like it was a little <laughs> bit of ortho, a little bit of a little bit of surgery and then, you know, some some other courses peppered throughout uh, that period as well. 
uh, not to overgeneralize too much, but okay, let's let's backtrack a little bit. So ortho is where you started out with, right? So tell us why did you decide to choose ortho first, and then you know maybe amongst the um, structured orthos that we've got around in Australia, why did you choose this one in particular? Um, I wanted something that was going to give me foundations. I wanted something that was going to keep me grounded on solid theoretical as well as clinical um, skills. And I wanted something that could be implemented straight after the course or during the course. Um, so when you look at weekend courses, they're great. They can whet your appetite. They can give you an idea of what a particular discipline has to offer. But how much can you really clinically apply day in, day out with the knowledge that you get? To some extent, you can. But I still feel that you're limited in some capacity. So having a comprehensive course that spanned over two years meant that I could bring my questions to every module and have my questions answered. I could begin my own cases and have them tracked and monitored. I could get feedback as I was doing my cases, as I was you know, screening for, pa for patients for cases. And I could also be guided on which cases not to touch and which cases would be suitable for my experience level. So I think... A, a, a mini residency style program at that point in time was probably right for me. I had just graduated. I was the only new grad that did it that year. Um, so it was an opportunity to come out of uni and that uni mindset and sort of carry that through on a part-time basis um, in an author program. And I, I was able to maximize how much I got out of it because it was the only thing I was focusing on. Uh, one thing that I'm noticing a lot these days is a lot of people will graduate. And, you know, we were hungry when we graduated. Some of the guys that are graduating now are 10 times hungrier and it's not a bad thing it's a great thing but i think harnessing that hunger into into maximizing what you get out of a program one program or two programs means that you will take out of it as much as you possibly can rather than splitting your focus across four or five different programs and having half the content sort of fly over your head and then realize what did i actually get out of this twenty thirty thousand dollar program when you know i could have just focused more on one or two Ortho really formed the foundation for a lot of the treatments that I provide. Um, I remember the first two years, I did a lot of ortho cases. I learned a lot. I learned what cases to touch and what cases to never touch again. Um, and all that is through, through experience and through going through a bit of struggle, through going through cases that didn't run as well as you'd like. But it was important to also have support, support from the instructor, support from mentors, support from my employer at the time. Um, and I remember the first half of the residency wasn't easy because I was working in a practice that sort of did a completely different style of orthodontics. So they wanted me to do ortho, but I said, I'm not doing ortho unless it's under the same philosophy that I've been taught. So push came to shove and they eventually converted the whole practice to the same system that I was using. So a little bit of influence goes a long way. <laughs> so let's get into that point you mentioned. So you've done a few structured courses. How would you suggest you know, a graduate try to get the most out of that particular course that they're doing? Um, you know, how should they think about um, goal setting? How should they think about trying to op maximize it and really get the most out of those CPD? Because like you said, uh, some people, they do it because they want to do it because um, they're just hungry, but they're overly hungry and so they're doing multiple things at the same time or they're doing it because they're getting it for the letters. But for those that are genuine about it, how would you suggest that they try to get the most out of it? I think before you start a program, it's important to have your own goals, what you want to achieve from that program. You mentioned something like some people are doing courses just to get letters. 
And and I, I hear this quite commonly. A lot of people feel that if you get letters behind your name, it's going to protect you against the patient that decides to sue you or anything like that. But quite the opposite. If you're educated and you've done a program that gives you the letters, you're actually more responsible and you're probably more liable for those cases because you're now educated. You now have done, like my master's degree was considered 3,500 hours of CPD at the end of the master's degree. So you don't do 3,500 hours of CPD and it gives you a license to make reckless mistakes, for example. So having a, a clear understanding of what you want to achieve from the program, if it's purely research, that's completely fine. As long as you're going into the program and wanting to maximize the amount of research that you can do um, during your two years or year and a half or whatever it is, completely fine. If you want to gain as much clinical experience and clinical knowledge as possible, then pick a program that will give you clinical experience, that will give you clinical knowledge, that will give you one-on-one -on -one supervision to allow you to be able to execute the cases and, the, and, and apply the knowledge that you've been taught to a high standard with a feedback loop. Like with orthodontic residency, we were presenting our cases every every module and we were also presenting follow-ups of our cases every module, which meant that we could see if a case was tracking well or not. In the surgical programs that I teach, patients have to do a pre-treatment form and that needs to be approved before they touch the patient. Once they've done the surgical aspect, that needs to be reviewed and graded and feedback given. And whether or not they're capable or able to move on to the next stage is determined by how well their planning was and how well their execution was of the surgery. So it's constant feedback from those people around you. And you've got to be prepared to get that feedback. You know, when you've paid $30,000 for a course or $20,000 for a course, sometimes there can be a tendency for, for, for instructors to sort of keep patting you on the back and pushing you towards, yeah, everything's going right, everything's going well. And, you know, maybe the feedback that you get might not be as as critical as it needs to be. Uh, and I'm a big believer of constructive criticism and being able to take it because I think if you can receive feedback well, you will then be able to look at your own work critically, be able to analyze your own work critically. And that can be difficult because we like to look at our work in the best possible light. And that's usually through our own two eyes. So it's important to sort of have somebody who keeps you accountable, um, keeps you on your toes, and challenges your mind just because you've done something right once and it worked doesn't mean it's necessarily the right way to do it. Uh, we all get lucky. I, I pray before all my cases and I pray that all of them go well, but that's not always the case. So when things don't go well, it's important to be able to to look at our work in a critical um, in a critical sort of eye. Mm. And is that how you kind of use that mindset to kind of determine these are the these are the courses that you wanted to pick? Yeah, I mean, look at the educators, look at the people teaching the courses. It's a really, really big um, uh, indicator of whether this is a program for you. Um, and it, does this person align with your philosophy um, of, uh, of the type of dentistry that you want to provide? Um, usually these speakers have done courses before and it's very, very easy to see what courses they've ran before. So you can sort of get a bit of feedback on people who've done their courses in the past. There's a lot of great programs out there. A lot of great programs by many, many educators there's everyone runs a course now so there's a lot of education that's at our fingertips um it's picking the course that's right for you and that's right for your philosophy and sort of have a roadmap of where you want to be where you want to end up at the end of that program and one word of advice is it never finishes with one program it never finishes with one course there will always be another and another and you'll always be able to gain something out of those uh, those additional courses it's just a matter of how, you, how much you want to spend how much time you want to invest and really what you're trying to get out of it. Mm. But then if you look back, you never really regret all that time and money that you've spent into it because you've gotten so much out of it. 
No, you'll you'll learn one tip um, on a weekend course that you've paid five and a half thousand dollars for, but it'll save you a lot of time, money, heartache, uh, sleepless nights um, because of one tip that you picked up. So I, I'm a big believer of as much education as possible, um, and I don't think any education goes to waste. I mean, you've also joined some study clubs in the past. How have you found them? Um, some of the online study clubs are less interactive. Um, so, you know, Dental XP Online, for example, ITI Study Club, um, they're a bit more self-paced, which means that there's not, not much real accountability there. Um, maybe I'm not as disciplined as doing the online stuff as, as some people. I do really love in-person stuff. I do love structured learning. I feel like having that accountability and that structured program means that you have targets that you need to hit and you have objectives that you need to complete and you need to complete them to a certain standard, which means that it's not just pay your money, here's your diploma or pay your money, here's your certificate. Um, it's no, 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 I'm being kept accountable. I'm earning my way to, to, to the education that I want. And I'm also going to remember the things that I've learned because I'm going to be criticized and scrutinized for anything incorrect that I've done. Um, and that's how we learn. We never learn from our successes. We always learn from the cases that didn't run 100% and the cases that could always be better. And every case can be better. If you were doing all your cases at 100%, then it's probably time that you look for a different career or you retire because you've mastered dentistry. <laughs> so your documentation and clinical skills are amazing. You know, they're... What were some of these courses that you took? What inspired you to take it to the next level? I mean, there's clinical dentistry, but then there's artistic clinical dentistry. Uh, look, I got introduced to photography actually at the EODO program, um, and it was more so out of fear. Um, we were told that if your clinical documentation is not foolproof and you have a case that goes wrong, um, we're not here to help you. If you haven't got the documentation, if you haven't got your records, um, then you'll be out on your own. And yeah, it instilled fear in being able to document cases well. And at first it started with ortho. Um, and then, you know, I started to document more of my work. I started to get more feedback um, from people I considered mentors at the time. And I started to see a little bit more improvement in the clinical side of things. Uh, and after I did, I started the master's program, I knew that I needed to document 20 cases. Um, to a very high standard in order to get my my degree and we had a couple of lectures from one guy actually who video shoots for Discovery Channel and he lectures on photography worldwide his name is uh, Chris from Poland and he inspired me on the artistic side of things um, and you see the, the work of Tony Rotondo you see uh, clinical photography of Sabi for example uh, in uh, sorry lab photography of Sabi in Perth and you're like yeah, there's more to clinical documentation than just taking a photo of, of a particular pre-op and post-op. It's the journey, it's documenting the steps, it's documenting uh, every aspect of the case so that you develop your own portfolio, which helps you to get other cases over the line and also helps you improve. When you blow up your photos on a 30-inch screen, it's very different to looking at the patient through five times loops. Um, when you're looking at everything in... in as high detail as you can get from clinical photography, it makes you get better because you start to look at your cases through the camera lens, not through just your loops. Um, and then you become inspired. I mean, I was very stagnant in general dentistry for a while. And then I got mixed up with some really, really good friends who are probably lifetime friends now who do a lot of work to a very, very high standard. And I was inspired to do that type of work. So I'd take photos, I'd send it, I'd get smashed with feedback and go back and try to improve. Rinse and repeat and all of a sudden 12, 
18 months later, your dentistry is getting a little bit better. Um, and when you start to see your progress from six months ago or 12 months ago and you see an improvement, it inspires you to keep going. Um, and that comes with discipline, you know? Yeah, it comes with passion as well, hey. So let me get this story. So you basically graduated, you're doing orthodontics, um, but at the same time you have a passion for implants, but you know that you want to get through these uh, this ortho um, program first because you want you know you got to focus in on it. Then you do a few weekend courses in some fixed pros along the way, um, and then once that's slowly starting to dwindle, you're starting to get your hands wet again into some surgical stuff. Is that right? And then you're dabbling in a little bit more of the implants courses. Is that right so far? So in the first place that I worked at, they did a bit of everything. Um, I got into wisdom teeth quite early on, and I was able to go through. Uh, a bit of mentorship in wisdom teeth uh, regularly from pretty much the first few weeks out. I was watching and observing it. Uh, I got into a bit more surgery and that sort of re-sparked that inspiration and desire to do more surgery. And yeah, implants was always on my radar. I started to do a bit of implants under mentorship and then you realize that just because somebody tells you to do something and do it a particular way, it doesn't mean it's the only way. So you want to develop a foundation. You want to be able to think for yourself, not think using your mentor's brain alone and have that safety net of somebody's next door that's going to bail me out always. Um, and yeah, you, you get to a point where you want to learn more. You want to have a, a solid foundation. You want to be able to bail yourself out of cases um, should they arise. And you want to learn about complication management. You want to learn more complex procedures. You want to learn new techniques. Um, and you want to learn it in an environment that is conductive of learning um, without putting your patients at risk, <laughs> without... Um, you know, biting off more than you can shoot. So of these courses, you know, I mean, you mentioned already, there's always something you get to take away out of these CPD courses, but was there any particular CPD that you did not feel that you implemented or was not as beneficial for you at that time and you would do differently next time? Um, I did the cosmetic injectables course, um, thinking it would be something that I can incorporate every day. For my style of dentistry, it serves as an adjunct to the type of treatments that I do. Um, I don't do much with cosmetic, cosmetic filler. Um, maybe at the end of some rehab cases, I'll you know spoil a patient or something and, and, and do a bit of cosmetic work. Certainly has a place in, uh, in some implant therapy, um, particularly for TMJ um, and full arch implant therapy where I, I need sort of the jaw muscles to be a bit more relaxed during integration period. So I may administer some Botox. But other than that, it's not something that I push or market. If a patient asks for it, then yeah, I'll provide it, but it, I don't do much of it at all. Uh, it was an expensive course, um, and I believe the hype at the time, and it, maybe it just wasn't for me. So I think that's another point that you bring up where really look at how you can implement the course and how you can implement the content that you learn. Because if you work in a practice that's low SES, for example, not cosmetically driven, implementing that will be, will be a struggle. So, whether you know it or not, you're a big inspiration to a lot of recent graduates, even some more established dentists too. But you've mentioned a few influences in your life. So who's been some of these big influences in your career path and why? Um, I think the list is too extensive to sort of um, name names and, and that sort of thing in, on, on this form. I don't want to miss anyone, but there, there are a lot of people who have influenced me in positive ways and negative ways. And I think you've got you to gotta sort of count both. Um, I, I think the names that I'm, 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 I have no hesitation in naming is the three that everyone knows already, <laughs> Johan, Barat, and Aiden. 
Um, those three, I landed in a group chat with these guys four years ago or five years ago, and I definitely wouldn't be the dentist I am today if it wasn't for them. I feel like we all have different disciplines that we focus on, and we all encourage each other in our in our own disciplines. But at the same point, we learn from each other in in so many ways. You know, when somebody goes through a rut, you've got that group of people that can always pull you out of that rut. Whether it be words of encouragement, whether it be sharing cases, whether it be walking you through a patient complaint, uh, all of which I've been through, by the way, it's not I'm not just throwing random words out there. I've been through all of those things. So I think having that close net group of people who, number one, genuinely want what's best for you, genuinely want to see you succeed, and genuinely want to see you be better than who you were yesterday. Um, it, it's it's very very easy to get caught up in a group of people who do um, push you when it's the right time to push you, but also leave you hanging when it's the right time to leave you hanging. But having those three for me has definitely been instrumental in in where I am today. I think um, mentors come and go. Some of them do stay forever. Um, one of my mentors in Townsville, he's even though we don't live in the same city anymore, we're in touch every day every second day, going through cases, going through, um, you know, supportive conversations, those sorts of things. And I think it's important. As a new grad, you are overwhelmed with the amount of work that can be thrown at you with difficult patients, with, uh, you know, uh, different working environments that can put the pressure on, particularly as a new grad. Um, so it's important to have those support networks. Yeah. Mm. So, yes, you mentioned that probably a fair few people know about these uh, particular close-knit group of people and people would look on and be like kind of envious. How do you propose they kind of form such a group? Um, well, I just landed in one. That's just how it <laughs> happened. Um, look, Barat I'd known for years. Um, I'd known Barat probably before. Uh, I definitely knew Barat before Johan and Aiden. Um, but we connected just by, by coincidence through social media. Um, we sort of align with each other. I think it's important to find people that align with your philosophy, with your way of doing dentistry, with your passion, with your motivation. Having the same drive and motivation um, means that you're both going to be pushing each other when you don't want to be pushed. And, and that sort of means that when you do slump and you go through slumps, you have that person that's going to pull you up and not somebody who's at a completely different level, whether they're way more motivated than you or less motivated than you. Both scenarios won't help you in that period of time if you're not on the same level, you're not on the same page, you don't have the same goals or aspirations or passion. So I think, you know, when you meet people and you talk with them, like just like how I ended up in that group chat, I, I sort of clicked from the beginning. These people had the same drive, the same passion, um, the same inspiration, um, the same uh, desire to learn at the expense of constructive feedback. You know, you, you give some people constructive feedback and they're in denial and that's completely fine. That's their way of taking feedback. Um, so I think because we were very, very similar in all those aspects, it meant that the relationship was never one way. It meant that we always genuinely wanted to push each other to, to become better. And it meant when one of us was slacking, the others were picking him up. Um, and, you know, we look at our dentistry from three years ago, four years ago, and we look at it now. And th we thank God for each other because that's that's one of the main reasons why you know we're doing work that we're doing, and there's still a lot of room to improve. A lot of room to improve. Mm. You also mentioned you know having a good mentor at your workplace. You know, um, sharing cases with you. Some of the owners, some owners like to take on all the big cases, but your particular mentor didn't. 
Not only did he watch over you for the first few um, implant cases that you mentioned in the past, but you know he shared cases with you to work through it progressively. What's mm. your thoughts on trying to find that mentor? I, I think it's hard. I think especially during the times that we're living in at the moment, um, where you know those big cases or those complex cases aren't always readily around the corner it can be difficult to have those cases, uh, be able to take on those cases in, in every working environment. I think for me, the relationship with Matt was very simple is if, if you can work up the case and you can show me that you can do it uh, and you have your plan A, B and C and your contingency to get out of anything that went wrong, then I'm happy for you to do the case and I'll support you and I'll assist you for the case. If it's a case that's a little bit beyond you, then how about you book it in with me and you assist for the procedure once, twice, maybe three times until you feel confident enough that you can take on a case with me assisting you. And that's exactly how it was at the beginning. Matt actually assisted me for my first 47 implants, to be exact. Um, the first implant I did on my own, he was in the US and I didn't sleep the night before because I didn't have that psychological security of having my mentor next to me or in the room next door. But there comes a point where you need to have that leap and being able to have that leap in an environment where you know the boss has your back if something goes wrong, uh, within reason, of course, um, but also to be able to say, you know what, I've, I've been assisted 47 times for this procedure. It's no different. I've worked it up. I've done my plan A, B and C, and I've always got somebody to bail me out if, if, if need be. So I think by showing Matt that I was able to work up the cases document my cases so we can review them it was easy for him to say yeah take on cases and it wasn't just me look at all the people that have, have worked for matt andrew cheng's doing phenomenal work um his his other associates are doing great work he's a mentor and he has no hesitation in giving patience to his associates as long as they're put in the work um it's hard to expect any more if you don't put the work in um so i think it, it is a two-way street if those new graduates that are listening are in a practice where they are putting in all the effort, all the hard work, and they're not getting reciprocation, it may be time to look somewhere else. I'm not saying you're in a bad job. I'm saying if you have a desire to grow and learn at a pace that is reasonable for your skill level and somebody's holding you back, somebody's in your way from progressing, you don't let anyone get in the way. Nobody's going to look after you as much as you look after yourself at the end of the day. Mm. I think that's a good point to kind of lead into my next question, which is, you know, you've got so many successes, but there's struggles along the way. So for some of our viewers that might not know, could you talk to us about any particular struggles? Yeah, I mean, we all have cases that don't go well. We all have um, uh, treatments that don't go according to plan. We all have patients that are, that are unhappy at the end of treatment. For me, my first struggle was at uni. I, I actually, in second year and third year, I failed similar. And in third year, uh, I, I didn't think I had hands for dentistry. I didn't think I'd be able to make it through. And even if I scraped through, there was always that, that thing weighing on, my, weighing on my shoulders that I just scraped through. I just passed through SimLab. And psychologically, it affected me to a certain extent. Um, I got one of my clinical supervisors talked me out of a job because she didn't feel like I'd be suitable for the job. I actually got offered a position and within a week it was taken away from me. So you got to take what's yours and you got to put in the work and, and sort of strive for what it is that you're after, whether that be a job, whether that be a skill that you want to learn and master. You need to pave your own path and have the people around you that are willing to support that. 
there will be people that don't want to support you and that's completely fine and you welcome that because that will give you the, the that'll shape your character and your personality to be able to handle those situations better the second time and the third time that you face that um so it, it, it's important it's important to look after yourself and it's important to seek out those people who genuinely want you to do well mm, yeah I mean, when I first heard about the um, experience of, you know, a clinical treatment went out the, the way to call to, you know, um, get you out of that program, that was quite disheartening. But, you know, you've also, when you were graduating, you were looking for work everywhere. You were handing out resumes, you were attending interviews, but you only had, you know, a few offers apart from the graduate program. And so you ended up in Melbourne with your friends. Um, but let's talk about that because a lot of graduates feel the same. You know, when they're trying to look for work, that's a difficult, especially when you've said you've done all of these things and you, you know, and you end up having to go out um, of Sydney, which is where you wanted to go after you had graduated. I mean, that would be a toll on, you know, in terms of mindset, attitude, and, you know, where you're expecting things to go. Mm. What can you say to the new grad that's probably going through all graduates at the moment are going through that same kind of um um motion you know they got they're applying everywhere but they're not going where they end up going mm. wanted to go sorry look i think it's there there's some compromises that you can make on a personal level and there's some that you can't make for some people for example if they're from sydney they need to be back in sydney and that's completely fine to find your ideal job um where your heart is set can be hard and being able to compromise on that is something that you may need to rethink. I think job opportunities are getting harder and harder because let's face it, it's getting more and more competitive. Um, graduates are coming out and applying for jobs with portfolios of cases they've done at uni. And it's great to see because there's inspiration that's sort of funneling down this, this social media that's, that's become so easily accessible that it's forcing graduates to go ahead or undergrads, I should say, to go ahead and start documenting their cases and presenting their work. Um, so I think if, if you're set on returning back home or going to a particular place and you can't find that right job, then there has to be a compromise. And the compromise might be that, you know, you have to stick it out for a year or two in a, in a place that you're not necessarily 100% happy. And they'll all be learning experiences. You always learn something from every place that you work. The first place I worked at, I learned a lot of what not to do. And I'm grateful for that place because it, it really tested my moral and ethical code. And thankfully, it didn't change. It didn't waver. And it set me up for knowing really that the grass was greener when I did end up in Townsville. Because the type of work that I was doing there compared to Melbourne was chalk and cheese. Completely different. Um, you will learn. It's just a matter of if you're learning what to do or what not to do. And if you're in a practice that's not giving you everything that you want to learn, there's no harm in reaching out to people to go and observe, go and assist, go and discuss cases, whether they be specialists or generalists that do, you know, specialty work really, really well. Um, that's 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 another option. I don't think that should you should sort of that should give you an exit strategy and say, okay, that's it. I can't sort of find that job, so I'm just going to stick it out here for two or three years, and wherever I end up, I end up. It's a lazy. Mm. That's a lazy cop out. Um, I've I've had new grads message me regularly saying, can we come and observe? Uh, a day of surgery or whatever by all means no problems at all if it's going to inspire you to maybe do something um surgical in the future I i'm happy mm. 
So for a lot of graduates, they reach a point, they want to get to the next level, either it's to specialize, to be a practice owner, or to be a super GP, you know, a super GP. What's your thoughts on all of that? Because at one point, you actually wanted to become an owner at one point, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, we all we all start the journey at a particular um, starting point, and the end point might end up being the same. I've got a lot of friends who started um, their dental journey after graduation straight into ownership, and now coming full circle, they're getting into education, they're getting into postgraduate programs, they want to further their skill set. I sort of started in the opposite spectrum. I did the education first, and maybe I'm heading into ownership. So there's no right or wrong. I think. Um, understand that your attention and the amount of effort into either option is immense i can't speak from a practice ownership point of view but from what i i hear from friends who are owners that carries its own stresses and its own sort of tolls as does cpd and further education etc etc so yeah i think it's important to have a clear path of where you want to go and be flexible for change from that set plan plans don't always go according to how we'd originally put them in place so it's important to be able to adapt to whatever situation it is. You know, I wanted to come back to Sydney. I ended up in Melbourne. And then after Melbourne, I ended up in Townsville. If you had told me 10 years ago, I would have ended up in Townsville. I, I would have spat my water out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it really comes down to adaptability and what you want to achieve and what you're willing to, to sort of sacrifice in order to achieve that. Mm. Talking about trying to, you know, sacrificing and stuff like that to uh, reach your goals. What's your ideal clinical or non-clinical day look like in five years' time? And, you know, what kind of CPD do you want to do to get, to get to that point? I still enjoy general dentistry. I think uh, for me, an ideal day would be a morning of surgery, um, followed by an easy afternoon of either a bit of implant pros or a little bit of um, just general work that's, that's calming, whether it be fixed pros or whether it be just some general dentistry. Um, I think doing three or four surgical days a week, I, I noticed the toll that it can have on, on you mentally and obviously physically as well. So an ideal day would probably be a mixture of majority surgery and an afternoon, an easy cruisy afternoon of, of something else. Mm. And what kind of CPD do you want to do to kind of get to that point? I, I think CPD plays a part, but also the way you structure your days and the way you sort of, for, for an associate, I'm an associate, I'm working out of eight clinics at the moment in Sydney. But for me, the way I structure my days and the type of procedures that I offer. So naturally speaking, if I'm doing more surgical work, then most of the work that's coming my way is going to be surgical. Um, and I work in clinics where not many people do surgery in those clinics. So what's being referred is surgical work. If I'm in my own clinic, then it's about building a team around you that can pick up the slack where you don't necessarily thrive or you don't necessarily have a strong suit. Uh, I used to do a lot of ortho. I don't do much ortho anymore. So if it was my own clinic, I'd have somebody who's very passionate about ortho. And I, I would do cases together. Uh, instead of me doing the ortho, the implants, the restorative, I would have somebody do the ortho because that's their passion. And who am I to take away somebody else's passion? Right? Let them do the ortho, which is what gives them fulfillment, um, not just financial reward. I think satisfaction comes in many forms. Finances is one, but I think having fulfillment in the work that you're doing is is always going to be worth something even on the days when you're not making money you know if the sole purpose is to to produce high numbers on the days that you don't you'll go home very sad and upset because you didn't hit your number one goal whereas if your number one goal is to do great ortho or great surgery or great pros 
and you don't have such a high financial day, you're still happy because you've done the work that you love to do and you've done it to a standard that makes you happy, makes you smile and you've looked after your patients and you always get satisfaction out of that. The money will follow. The money will always follow. Social media, particularly Instagram, you know, was uh, where a lot of our generation kind of consumes content. You know, you try to use that platform for good, for educating a lot of dental peers. But what are your thoughts on it now and how it's the social media environment is, you know, fast changing and becoming maybe a bit more of a marketing tool now? I think I think social media, when used for good, can be a very, very powerful tool. I think um, if it's a means of inspiring people to do better work, if it's a means of inspiring people to take on more courses or to upskill or to learn from others or even to reach out and ask questions, then social media is fulfilling its purpose. You get to a point where you realize social media goes the other way, where it becomes we're doing dentistry for the gram or we're doing dentistry for public applause or we're doing dentistry for public recognition. It's at that point when you start compromising patient care or you start to compromise on your clinical work for the sake of Instagram or for the sake of Facebook, that it can become a little bit more of a toxic environment. I think social media is great at, at you know, if you're looking for inspiration, if you're looking at um, having something spark your interest in, in another discipline or whatever, I think it's great. But I think it also comes with uh, a grain of salt. You know, don't believe everything you see in social media. Remember, everyone's social media is a highlight reel. People are posting the stuff they want you to see. Um, people are posting the cases that they have the answers to when they get asked questions. So it's important to take that with a grain of salt and to realize that don't believe everything that you see, but at the same point, be able to put up your own work and accept criticism. I remember posting on Facebook for the first time. I got cut at the knees time and time again. And I was posting for the wrong reasons. I was posting to show off my first implant or my first uh, full arch or my first whatever. And I would get broken down at the knees from keyboard warriors halfway across the world. And that was fine. I was able to take it. I was able to grow from it. But it puts you down. You, you get into a rut and then you don't want to do those cases anymore because you feel like you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Um, and you can get into the mindset of comparing yourself to others. End of the day, the more you compare yourself to others, the more it's going to bring in self-doubt, the more it's going to cause you to want to bend the rules or want to bend your clinical morale to fit whatever you're seeing on social media to make it so, so you can fit in on social media. I think it's important to look at your own work and compare it to your own work from six months ago or from 12 months ago. And I do that regularly. I'll go back on my Instagram feed and scroll back eight months ago and I'll be like, I really did this case. What was I thinking eight months ago? And I think that's the mentality that you have is, is social media is there for inspiration and you compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who somebody else is today. That's, that's straight out of Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 Rules for Life book. It's, it's important to be able to compare yourself to who you were because end of the day, who are you competing against? Are you competing against the other Instagram influencer in inverted commas or are you competing against yourself? And what is the goal? Is the goal to be Insta famous or is the goal the ultimate betterment of your patient? Um, so it's important to sort of have that mindset and you know what? You won't make everyone happy. There'll be people that won't be happy with, with what you put out there and there'll be people that will criticize your work and that's completely fine. Just like you can't be everyone's dentist, you can't please everyone. Mm. Your parents were teachers at one point, right? Is that what led you to becoming a teacher now in multiple different roles? 
dad was a teacher. Um, so I think for me, going through the cases that I've gone through and the failures and the complications and the, and the compromise results that I've gone through sort of leads you to want to be able to pass that on. You don't want somebody to go through your your mistakes. Uh, we learn from our own mistakes, but we also learn from others' mistakes. And I feel like, for me, the first time I did teach was actually when I was in first year uni. I was tutoring, um, just high school students, chemistry and biology, I think it was. <laughs> and somehow I was able to communicate in a way that was receptive. And somebody, one of my students actually said to me, you're a great teacher, why don't you consider teaching? I never thought of it. And then, yeah, 12 years later, here we are. And sometimes what I say sticks, sometimes it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So just to wrap it up, do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to leave for the, like, the budding young dentist? I know there were so many nuggets along the way here, but if there was any other words that you want to leave out for them? I think um, going back to programs, I think it's important to really have a clear path um, for where you want to be and how you want to sort of see yourself in four or five years time and seek out the courses that will get you there. Um, I'm a very, very big advocate of structured programs um, because I feel like they offer you discipline and exactly right structure in, in a way of learning. Um, blended learning is a great way of being able to incorporate clinical with theoretical um, and sort of combine the two at the same time. There's a lot of great theoretical courses out there um, and you'll learn a lot but you also need to marry that up with, with the clinical. And there's a lot of great clinical courses out there that may not necessarily provide the theoretical. So it's important to sort of map out where you want to be in four or five years time and then find the courses that do fit that sort of, um, that sort of portfolio, if you want to call it. Speak to people. Speak to people who have done the courses. Get proper feedback on how the course was, the pros, the cons, um, particularly the cons. Every course has pros. Some of them have one con that outweighs all the pros. So it's important to be able to critically evaluate the programs, the speakers, the educators, et cetera, before you, you, you find yourself in a course that you end up saying, oh, I wish I didn't do this course. Mm. Very rare. There's a lot of good courses out there. It's very rare, but at the same point, it may not fulfill your goals from that mm. course. Yeah, so sometimes, you know, previous uh, presenters have talked about trying to relate it back to what they're offering at the workplace as opposed to something that might not be. Otherwise, you don't see the clinical benefits of it. Well, David, David here. thank you for coming on the show today. If you can let the people know how they can find you or what's kind of going on in your life. Um, you can reach out to me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle will probably be on the video somewhere. Um, just send me a text message. I'll probably get back to you in 24 to 48 business hours. Um, <laughs> so that might be a week or so. Um, but I, I promise I'll get back to you. I, I make a habit of actually responding to every message and every comment that's on any post. So I will get back to you. Um, if you have any questions about courses, any questions about cases, I'll be happy to discuss or even pass you on to people who are way better than me at speaking to you about those cases or those courses. Mm. David here, have a good night. Thank you, you too. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.